Hey everybody, it's Chris Aiken here, just reminding you that all of my books are available on sale over at chrisakinbooks.com. And for you dummies that can't spell my last name, that's A-K-I-N. So C-H-R-I-S-A-K-I-N-B-O-O-K-S.com. Get them. Whether you want the fun musical stuff or you want the depressing divorce and burn accident stuff, it's all there. So go to chrisakinbooks.com. Let's bring in our first guest tonight, Mr. Brian Mitch Daniels. What's up, Mitch? How you doing? Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you coming on with us today, bud. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. We're doing great, man. You know, um, so, uh, you know, let's talk about, I guess, you know, what you've been up to, you know, musically. I know it's been about three years, about three years now, I think, or so since you left Mad Bowl, and I haven't really heard much uh, from you in terms of musically since, although recently we did hear you do a, a kick-ass cover of Sepultura's Manifest. Uh, obviously, yeah. I mean, KSID, that's one of my favorite, you know, old-time uh, metal records. It features yourself. You got Tony Campos from Static X in there, Mark Rizzo from Soulfly, you know, and, and a couple other guys. So go ahead and tell us about how that all came together with the, with you guys. What was the impetus, to, you know, for putting that together? Sure. That was uh, that was Walter. Okay. Uh, he was one of, our, one of our good friends, and uh, – Walter played for a quick minute in Madball before I was in the band. Um, okay. Walter played for a bunch of years with DRI. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a crazy resume. He's played with a ton of bands that you would know. Um, so he reached out to me in, over the summer and said, hey, I've been doing these uh, these little kind of quarantine jam things, and uh, we want to do this Sepultura track. And I was, I was like, cool, awesome. I think by the time he reached out to me, he'd already done – him and Tony had already done the bass and drums. So uh, they sent okay. it to me. Um, I tracked guitars. And then we had uh, Rizzo uh, sent in, sent his guitars over, um, which was crazy because it was like he sent a video of himself and that was his him playing. So we like extracted the audio from that. Oh, okay. Um, put it together. And then um, found um, Matt to sing on it. And uh, put it out. It, it all it came together within like about a month. It's pretty quick. Oh wow! Okay, that's pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and uh, put a put a video together for it, and um, got you know got a little attention with it. It was fun. It's uh, obviously Sepultura is a band that you know influenced the shit out of everybody, me included. Sure. And that that's obviously that's definitely one of my favorite records. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, like I said, I mentioned before, man, it's been, you know, a few years now since uh, you've ended your, your long tenure with, you know, one of New York Hardcore's all-time greatest bands and one of the most inf- influential bands, like I said earlier, that I listened to growing up. And you were with them for 16 years. I mean, that's longer than any other, you know, guitarist that they ever had. Uh, and I remember, after, you know, I remember reading that after you left that you really wanted to focus more on producing. So I guess go ahead and fill us in on what you've been up to in terms of, you know, Production-wise, what you've been doing uh, since you know uh, since you left Madball? Sure, I mean, producing is something that I was a little bit involved with even before I was ever even in bands. I went to school in New York City right out of high school for audio engineering. Okay, and um, and after that, I worked in a, a recording studio in Manhattan um, that was one of the top facilities in the whole world, they were really famous studio called Skyline Studios. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't doing anything seriously. I was making coffee and answering the phones. 
um, as, you know, entry level. But sure. they would let you, you know, they kind of turned a blind eye if you wanted to sneak in there at night and do some work. So I got my, my hand, my feet wet a little bit. Um, at first, I produced um, with another guy. We did some stuff for Sub-Zero, mm-hmm. um, New York sure. hardcore band. We also produced sure. a band called Dark Side, New York City. Sure. Um, that was um, uh, Alan Blake from Sheer Terror, the original Sheer Terror guitar player. It was mm-hmm. the thing that he did after. And then they, you know, you know, Dark Side's been around a long time. Yeah, sure. And mm-hmm. so I did some stuff then and then um, started playing in bands. And um, it's something that I kind of picked up, I want to say, about about nine or ten years ago while I was still in Madball. Um, I got asked to work with um, an Italian band called Strength Approach, which is okay. a band that I toured with a bunch with Madball, got to be good friends with them. And... Um, I did a couple of different things with them. We did an EP, and then they liked how that came out, so I went back over. I think it was in 2015 and did a full-length record with them in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm trying to think of what was after that. After that, I worked um Dutch band called All For Nothing, um, did a full-length album for them. Um, and then, yeah, so, you know, when, 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 the, when the band thing went down and I ended up leaving the band, it was something that I, I was like, yeah, I really kind of want to focus on this. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's not it's not a full-time thing. You know, I still work. I work in production, event production. Uh, I'm a stagehand here in New York. Um, okay. You know, that's, that's pretty much my gig now. But mm-hmm. creatively, the musical side of me, uh, you know, I'm still working with bands. Awesome. Sure. Well, is it satisfying as a musician – to produce other bands because i i know a million musicians man and you guys all have the bug even when you go on to do something else you still want to make music that's just the the musician's creed and i i almost have always thought that guys that transition like yourself from actual performer to production that it almost it's got to be difficult because you don't have as much creative influ- input into it and you you listen to another band making music and while you try to put your ear to it to to make it the best it can there's there's usually a piece inside of you it's like i wouldn't fucking do it that way i would do it this way and you know is has that been the case for you yeah yes and no i mean you know there's you have a lot of it's a different kind of creative input that you have um i mean the most of the bands i've worked with have been bands that are younger um I'm not, I'm not talking like they're kids, but, you know, there are bands that I feel like I've, some of my experience I can impart to them and I can, I can show them things that I learned over the years in recording with, you know, everything I ever worked with, the stuff I produced, um, the stuff I recorded with Scarhead, the stuff I recorded with Madball. Um, and I learned from, you know, a lot of those bands that have been doing it from before me. Um, so it's just, you know, it is a very creative and fulfilling process to work with bands like that and show them, you know, little tricks you learned over the years. Um, the biggest message I always try to explain to to bands is, is just preparation. Sure. Preparation, I'll say it 500 times. The more time you spend in the rehearsal studio, the less time you spend in the recording studio. And recording studios are expensive, so you're I saving mean. money. I tell guys, like, you know, if you go in completely prepared where the songs are rehearsed and you've got everything down and all the kinks worked out, well, then the recording process is just a formality almost. 
you know, sure. most of the creativity and the magic is going to happen when they're writing the songs. And then when you're in the studio, it's just a matter of making that represent, um, making what you play represent the, the best angle of the song. Right. Definitely. Mm. Now I, I'm curious though, I, I'm going to devil's advocate this a little bit. That theory works with the experienced pros like yourself that have, yeah. that are, you know, the grizzled veterans that, that understand the business. Hardcore bands today, notoriously difficult. You know, they're, they're younger. They don't have that experience. They're, you know, they just, honestly, it, it has a lot to do with experience. I'll, I'll be a little cutthroat. Go ahead. Not the bands that are going anywhere. True. <laughs> okay, yeah. If you're, True. If you're a hardcore band, first of all, hardcore is about the 18th thing on the list of things that make money. Right. Hardcore is not a rich man's game. Um, yeah. There's not a lot of money in it. 99% of the bands do it for the love of the music and the scene. Um, so, you know, if you don't have your shit together, if you're going to be a difficult to work with band, you're going to go nowhere. It's right. the bands that, you know, you look at the bands over the years that have made something of themselves. Those are the guys that took the, the opportunities that were given to them and made the most of them. You know, bands that went in, like I said, prepared. The bands I've worked with, I've been very lucky. They've been prepared. They've been hungry. They've, they've, they've put tremendous amount of work into their, um, into their songs and into their records. And if they're working with me, they're open-minded. It's not like they know everything. They, they, they've come to me because they say, oh, maybe this guy can show us some stuff we didn't know. Or maybe this guy can, can you know, um, guide us a little bit. So, right. you know, again, a, a difficult hardcore band – when you're when you're Bruce Springsteen or you too, you can be difficult to work with. <laughs> yeah. in millions. When you're a hardcore band, you better have your shit together. Right, no doubt, man. Is it is, is it a situation for you that you know you might hear the music and like the music, but when you meet the guys and if if they come off like they're just going to be douchebags, that you'll walk away from it, or would would you produce them? Or will you make your check? I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess everything, if it was an amazing band and they were a pain in the ass, uh, you know, that would be one thing. If they were great guys and their songs were dog shit, it wouldn't matter. You know, I wouldn't want to work with them. Um, you know, everything's, I guess, relative. I, I've been very lucky. I haven't I haven't worked with anybody who's been any bit difficult. Everybody's got a good attitude. Everybody goes in, um, you know, knowing what they got to do. And when I tell them, you know, my theory about preparation – and having everything, you know, all the kinks ironed out and all the bugs out, um, they understand it. Sure, no, no doubt. You know, just I'm going to uh, pivot back to uh, your, your, you know, music uh, myths. You know, from what I hear, you know, from you know mutual acquaintances of ours, it's that even though you know you've been in a hardcore scene for years, you're a big fan of music that's way outside the whole hardcore and urban music hemisphere. Oh. Um, and, and I always find it pretty interesting to talk to musicians who play a certain style of music, but yet mainly listen to maybe some other genres that are nowhere near the same style of music that they play in their bands. How difficult is it for you? And in your case, you know, with hardcore, since obviously that's what you know, for uh, known for uh, playing, how difficult is it to allow those other influences or not allow, I should say those other influences uh, for what you listen to, to sort of seep into the music you're making for like, say when you were with Madball or any of the hardcore bands you played well, with, I you think know? I think that the more music you listen to, the better musician you're going to be. Like the, the sure. more variety you listen to, the better, the better musician you're going to be. I, it's almost like inbreeding. If, if you listen to nothing but metal, 
and you sit down and try to write a metal song, there's no there's no um, variety in there. You're going to basically just be copied. You right. know, if you look at the trailblazers of any genre, they weren't listening to their style alone. They were listening to, you know, everything. There was always something outside their, their, um, their world that they blended in that made it that unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spent, I mean, I was pure metal and hardcore up until about 18 years old. And then mm-hmm. I, then I discovered the rest of the world, you know, it's like, right, sure. you know, you have to, you have to open your mind. You can only be, you know, when I first discovered metal and hardcore, it was, you know, it was incredible. It changed my world. But then as I got, you know, started to become a little bit of an adult, you know, I started to listen to some more classic rock. Um, some more punk came in. I got a little more into punk stuff in my, in my twenties. Mm-hmm. And then by, my mid twenties, I was, you know, full on, like I kind of revisited all the, the pop stuff that had gone on when I was a kid that I hated because it wasn't Slayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, all that stuff rounds you out as a musician. You listen to songwriting of any genre, you know, writing a song is kind of very similar no matter what kind of music you're writing. Um, so I'm a big believer that the, the more you listen to, the more education you get on music, and it makes you that much better of a songwriter, that much better of a producer, just mm-hmm. that much better even of a music listener, you know, even if you're not in a band. If you're only listening to one kind of music, you're really limiting yourself. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree, man. So well, let's go ahead. We're going to talk a little bit about Madball. When you first joined the band back in the early 2000s, um, and I remember when you did, it wasn't, it was, you know, it wasn't too long after they had initially disbanded, you know, which obviously didn't last too long. Uh, which is a great thing. Um, and it sort of marks sort of like that second incarnation of Madball at that time. And I believe you were, I think you were still playing uh, possibly with Scarhead around that time. And I know one of the things about Madball was that they had gone through, you know, several guitarists since they had broke out of New York City and became more of a global act. Was one of the reasons that they did get back, you know, together for that second incarnation, was it due to the fact that they were able to, you know, find stability at Guitar Spot with someone like yourself? And uh, and did you feel any pressure at that time, you know, filling in those shoes of such, you know, Harold, you know, really great guitarists they had like Matt Anderson? Yeah, I definitely yeah. felt pressure. I'll tell you that. Okay. They were a band that when I was in Scarhead, we did a bunch of tours together. And to me, Madball was like the, the gold standard. I was like, mm-hmm, you know, sure. these guys every night bring an incredible live show. They're tight. There's a show. It's not just a bunch of guys getting up there playing. You know, it was, it really had showed me like, wow, this is, this is the level that you need to be at. And um, so just to give you a little of the history that they had, they had Matt was the steady guy for years and years. And then they, Matt left the band, I think in like 98, and they went through a couple of lineup changes that got them a little frustrated. And then there were some other problems going on. And when I came into the picture, they were, they were basically done with it. You know, they Hoy and Freddie were frustrated with the way things had been going. And the plan was, that's it. We're done. They're breaking the band up. And I remember reaching out to Hoya and I was like, Hey man, you know, I feel for you. You know, I'm sorry to hear what you guys are going through, but I told them I, I got time. If you guys need someone to fill in, you know, I'm your man. I can learn this stuff, you know, real fast. I, I, it'd be, it'd be an honor for me to help out. And at first he said, no, we're done. We're, 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 you know, we're hanging it up. And then a little while went by and he, he, he reached out to me again. He says, all right, we're going to do one last tour. We're going to do a Europe tour 
Um, and then we're gonna, and then we're breaking the band ups. And he says, you know, we'd love it if you could help us out. So that was the first thing I did with him. I did a, a European tour in the spring of '01, okay. during which that tour we got asked to do a CBGB final show, and we got asked to do a Japan run. So we ended up doing those things, and the band ended. And I was just happy to have been a part of the very end of it. Uh, the, the last CB show we played as a five-piece where Matt Henderson came up. And uh, we had two guitars, which is always fun to play with Matt. Um, and the band broke up. And, you know, I thought it was done. I, I went on tour with them, and I spent a year on the – I mean, a year. I spent a whole tour with them giving interview after interview to these, to these uh you know, magazines and fanzines where they were all saying, Oh, you're not really breaking up. Are you, you know, this is just uh, to say, you know, whatever. And they were like, no, we're really done. This is it. We're not doing this just for publicity. We're not doing this. So I was convinced. I thought it was over. And um, about a year went by and I saw Freddie one night at a show at CBS. I think we were uh, H2O show that we were hanging out. And he kind of whispered in my ear. He says, Hey, don't sleep on Mad Law. And I was like, whoa, like, really? Like, <laughs> you know, blew me away. Sure. And so, I, you know, not to make this into a whole uh, uh, history lesson, but so later on, uh, within a month or so, he reached out and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to get the band back together, and I want you to be the guitar player. And uh, it went from there. That was, uh, you know, 14, 15 more years. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. Well, you know, speaking of – you know, you and your it, it, ball. My favorite uh, release uh, that you were on uh, was, the, was the album Legacy. But I think the best sounding release though was Empire. Um, that had you know that obviously had Jay Weinberg from Slipknot was on drums and it was produced by uh, Eric Rutan, of course, who's you know from Morbid Angel and Hate Eternal. Talk about the recording of that record. Do you do you agree that that was the best you know uh, you know sounding album of your tenure? Or do you do you think there was a, another album that was better? If I had to pick a personal favorite sounding production wise, I think that Hardcore Lives was the, was my favorite. Okay. Um that was the one where um we it was it was uh engineered the recording was engineered by Ken Susi from Unearth. Okay. And and it was mixed by Zeus um oh, yeah. who had okay. done Legacy and Infiltrate the System. Sure. And okay. uh yeah, Zeus did a great job. I think it just by that point you know, we were on, that was our fourth record since I'd been in the band. We were pretty dialed in. We, we kind of had the method down. Okay. We were happy. Um, awesome. Empire, Empire was, it was cool working with Rutan because uh, we had toured with uh, Hate Eternal uh, within a, a, like five, six years before that. So we've known Eric ever since. He's a great guy. He's a huge perfectionist, especially when it comes to guitars. He really pushed me, which was fun. Um, mm-hmm. We did we did it in Florida, so couldn't complain about the weather. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, is that my favorite record sound wise? <laughs> no, I'm glad to hear it's yours. Um, I don't I don't hate it. It's mine. Yeah, it's definitely got a, It's definitely got mm-hmm. a unique. I think it, out of the four that I did, Legacy, Infiltrate, Empire, and um, uh, Hardcore Lives, it sounds different than the other three. Does, yeah. Um, the uh, you know, uh, Freddie sounded like a monster on it. I remember that his vocals, mm. his vocals came out awesome on that, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was a fun process, we had a good time doing it. 
Yeah, no, awesome. And, you know, although I love, you know, obviously what you've done with Madball, man, throughout your career, to this day, I still think the best stuff you did was that Ragman EP you guys did on Eulogy back in, like, 2004 or three. I mean, it boggles my mind because it was – you guys were a super group there. You had you, you had George from, you know, Marauder, had Rig from Madball and Hayden and Bulldog from Earth Crisis. I mean, and not a lot of people really know even about that EP. It's, it's a fucking great EP, man. It's a great record. Uh, Obstacles, man, that's a great song. What I mean, whatever happened in that project? How, I mean, how how did how, first of all, how did that come about? How did you guys wind up doing that? And then what, how come you guys just kind of never did anything with that again? That was it. That that ended up coming together when I had a lot of that stuff written when Madball was on. Hey, you know that little breakup. Okay. And then when we got going again, um, within a year or so, Freddie and Hoya ended up doing the Hazen Street thing. That's right. Okay. Which was the rock project. And when those guys were doing that. You know, Mabel was not by any means on a hiatus, but they were focused on Hazen Street for the first, I want to say for like the second half of 2003 and the first, uh, almost all of 2004. So I got together with Rig and started writing that stuff. And um, we got a lot of it written. And um, yeah, it just kind of came together quick. Um, we got George on vocals, um, Bulldog. You know, I knew, I knew Bulldog from... Earth Crisis, when we had toured with, um, it was a tour we did in 1998 that was uh, Earth Crisis, Madball, Hatebreed, Scarhead. And wow. um, there's like entire books that could be written about that tour. <laughs> I'm sure. Man, yeah. and, and the problem with the books is you, you have to put names in there and that ain't going to happen until till three, four generations have passed when there's nobody around to be incriminated. Sure. <laughs> but, um, but we knew those guys. So Bulldog was, was a, was a, a good thought. I'm like, oh, that guy's got a great tone. Um, mm. We did that record on eulogy and it was kind of, it started to kind of come together. Like, well, if these guys are going to be doing the Hazen street thing, this will give me and rig something to do and keep, keep, you know, keep the ball rolling and, and have some music going on. And then the Hazen, Hazen Street kind of ran its course. Um, There's a whole story behind that. That record, unfortunately, didn't get the push that it should have. I mean, yeah. That was meant to be the next, like, you know, that was supposed to be a major, major label smash. Mm-hmm. The songs are incredible. The productions, the performance, everything's great. I just think the label kind of got cold feet about it at the end and didn't, didn't push it as hard. Mm-hmm. But by the end of 2004, we were back full tilt writing for, for the first, okay. uh, for legacy, which what would become legacy. And, um, and that was that, you know, Matt Ball was my yeah. first priority that we put the ragman out. We did a, you know, a little bit of touring around the States. We went to Europe once for a couple of shows, but we were back with Matt Ball. So that kind of put it on sure. the shelf and it's been on the shelf ever since. No question. Well, well, Mitz, um, you know, as a production guy, I'm, I'm more fascinated these days with production than anything. Not because, you know, it's a, it's a skill and I don't think people realize that it's a skill. I think a lot of people think that it's, ah, you twist a couple knobs and you turn the volume up and then that's it. You know, that being said, it is a skill and there's a lot of idiosyncrasies that goes into making a quality recording of anybody, whether it's a country solo guy or a hardcore band or a metal band, et cetera, for you as a production guy. Does it bother you to no end that the world is more and more by the day leaning towards streaming where they're just hearing a low quality, low quality image of the work that you, you know, I mean, legitimately could spend months 
months or even a year producing. Yeah. Does, does that bothersome? I mean, I think the, the quality of that stuff has come up, though. You know, I mean, I remember when when satellite radio first came on, it sounded like, you know, it was really boxy and sounded paper thin. Um, a lot of, uh, I remember, you know, YouTube and all that stuff, when you first used to post songs up, they didn't sound as good. Now you listen to YouTube videos, and they're pretty, pretty much on par with uh, your streaming stuff like Spotify, Apple. Um, but, you know... It, you're mixing to what you're getting used on. I mean, you know, how much stuff in the 50s and 60s was played on AM radio? Yeah. You know, the, the, quality, the quality of something is a big part. But, you know, I'm more interested in the production um, as far as the performance goes. You know, if the energy's there and the, songs are, and the songs are slamming and everything's, like, translating the way you want it to, it shouldn't matter whether you listen to it on your phone or whether you listen to it on a you know five thousand uh, dollar set of speakers. Sure. Do you do you um do you do per and you may not even think about this, but it's just the sickness in my brain that always thinks about this kind of stuff. Do you produce in a way almost think forward thinking to how the medium is going to change, meaning that you 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 really focus on the individual tracks of every little thing. Because the median might change later to where having better production might lead to an actual better sounding, like a remix. Because everybody remixes and remasters now, you know. But a lot of it was because there, there just was wasn't as good of a sound. Where now it, it, you know, it, it seems like the only reason you would do that is because the technology gets better. I think the playing field is very level now. Um, if you look at, if you listen to. The records that I grew up on, uh, I'll say hardcore is the perfect example. If you listen to any any band that's a cornerstone of the genre right now, their demo sounded like shit. Their right. first record sounded like a bunch of guys that went into a studio and had no idea what they were doing and was produced by somebody that had no idea what hardcore was. And then by their second and third record, <clears throat> they started to come together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because... To get into a real studio back to, back in those days cost, you know, $50,000. Nowadays, yeah. you can make a, a, an incredible sounding record on a, a budget that's a tenth of that. So I think that, the, the, you know, the you've got bands now making their first record that sounds just as good as what their third or fourth record will sound like. Um, but again, production, production as far as audio quality, to me, is is secondary to performance. If you can get that magical performance down, if you got, the, you know, the drummer and the bass player and the guitar player, they're locked in, and then the singers singing some magic, you know, it's got to have that, that you know, emotion he's got coming out of him, you know, that once-in-a-lifetime performance out of somebody, and you get that all going at the same time, man, I, I almost don't care if the, the production's, oh, those guys' record sounds better. Ah, I don't give a shit. Yeah, obviously you want it to sound up to up to standard and you want everything to be clear. You don't want anything to get drowned out. You want to get the message across with the music, but the magic is way more important than the science. Sure. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So, hey, Mitch, um, before we uh, wrap things up, I know you've got an announcement you want to make to the audience tonight, so why don't you go ahead and do that? Sure. So yeah. I, haven't, I haven't released anything um, other than that Sepultura thing. Um, and then since I left the band uh, back, as you said, I think it's three years ago now, 
Um, I've got something coming out. I should say we. Um, a buddy of mine, um, guitar player for Entombed AD, um, my buddy Guilherme uh, Miranda, who plays for Entombed AD, which is like the the next generation from Entombed because those guys kind of had a little dispute. So one guy's got the name and then uh, yeah. my friend LG's got Entombed uh, AD. Mm-hmm. So uh, Guilherme reached out to me this summer and asked if I wanted to play on a project. He's like, we want to do something. Um, we've got a bunch of guys I'm thinking of, but you were the first person that, you know, I, I asked for it or maybe the second or whatever. So we've got a, we've got a, a project coming out and it's not a cover like other stuff that uh, like the simple turret thing. This is original. It's called Dark Times Collaboration. Um, okay. It's me. It's uh, Guilherme from Entombed AD. It's uh, Chris, a uh, bass player from Unearth. It is okay. a drummer named uh, Jono Garrett, um, who I just met through uh, through this project. And um, so me and Guilherme play guitar. That's the bass. Um, that's the drummer. And um, we brought in a uh, singer. So another band that I produced um, recently is a band called Eternal Struggle from Tel Aviv. That's a story okay. I, I didn't actually get a chance to, to bring up. A uh, band I produced from Tel Aviv, and when we had this song going around for this thing, um, Guilherme asked me what would be a good, uh, if I had any ideas for a singer. So um, we're using uh, Franco, Ori Frank, uh, from Eternal Struggle. It's a new band coming out of Israel. He's He sang on it. And Guilherme also uh, put um, asked a hip-hop guy from Brazil, this guy Phantom DK. So he does like a little verse on it. Um, it's one song right now. We may do more in the future. Um, we're going to release the song within a couple of weeks and there's going to be a video as well. And, uh, that'll be the first new music that I've, uh, I've been a part of that I've released since Madball. So. Oh man. Awesome, man. We'll definitely look forward to uh, hearing that. Where, where can we check that out? Well, do you, you don't have a specific date just yet or nothing just yet, but after okay. today I'm going to post uh, some stuff about it. Um, okay. We're in the process of um, of uploading it to streaming things, uh, hoping to get it onto uh, Spotify and Apple Music. And um, we've got a video in the works. We we shot a video um, that was <laughs> was originally supposed to be kind of like the behind the scenes of everyone just playing um, in there. Because the interesting thing about the project I didn't get into, we did it completely remotely. Um, nobody, nobody jammed in a room. It was, Guilherme had the idea for the project. He said, do you have any ideas? I said, I got a piece of music that I've been throwing around for a while. I sent it to him. He's like, oh, I love this. He's like, let me add on to it. So me and him wrote the song together. And then we made a click track for it. We sent it to, uh, Texas where the drummer and the bass player live. Uh, the drummer played in a studio along with a reference track, sent that back to us. We did our guitars in our houses. We all did it at home. Um, basically everybody contributed their parts, uh, individually remotely. Um, so, and then we sent it to a studio in Germany, this guy, uh, Christian Kohler, um, and his studio is called Cole Keller studios there. I believe they're outside of Frankfurt. And, Mm -hmm. um, he did a mix for us and it came out unbelievable, like way better than we ever thought. Um, so everybody's going to be credited. You'll, you'll read the whole story. I'm going to start posting some stuff about it, um, as of tonight. And, um, I'm hoping that we'll do another couple of songs. It's, you know, everyone's got their own bands. I got music in the works for, 
further down the road. But um, this is something that um, we may, you know, drop a song every now and again, and it, it should be some fun. Yeah, oh, awesome, man. Well, we can't wait to check that out. It sounds great, man. Um, and definitely uh, when you guys do release, you know, something, whatever, we can always definitely have you back on and talk more about it, too. That would be awesome. Sure if you're interested, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right, Mitz. Well, once again, man, thanks so much for coming on, and good luck with everything. We'll hopefully talk to you soon, bud. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to Aftershocks. For more episodes, go to our website at www.aftershockspodcast.com. Visit us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for more news and information on the podcast. And be sure to subscribe, listen to, and review all episodes on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other podcast platforms. For your music listening pleasure, visit our website or go to www.shockwavesradio.com for all comments and questions Please email us at info at aftershockspodcast.com.